0: Great. Right. Yeah, well, it did. I did have to look around, but yeah. Right. Good morning, everyone. Bible reading um, on page one thousand and eighty-two. It's John fifteen. We continue in John, and from verses eighteen to sixteen three. If the world hates you. Well, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. And that is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat, they will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. But this this is to fulfill what was written in their law. They hated me without a cause. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. And in fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that they're offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father
1: or me. Happy little passage, hey? Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. We've been uh, unpacking what I've called, uh, what Jesus really called, life on the vine. You'll find uh, an outline in the handout. There it is, and this is the third Uh, in our series. And uh, up until now, you'd imagine that uh, everything that is written has been pretty positive. We've talked about bearing fruit. We've talked about love. And you'd actually expect that if we lived the way that Jesus calls us to live, that they'd love us. Yes. Excluding our many failures, what we offer, we offer what Peter talked about as the words of eternal life. If we live as Jesus calls us to live, we are to be salt and light. We are to bless what's not to love. But if you, uh, if you haven't been living under a rock recently, you'd notice that uh, Christians are not widely loved within our community. In fact, uh, our failings are trumpeted uh, from the headlines of every newspaper. Uh, all you need to do is listen to talkback radio and you will hear again and again and again That our failings are not forgotten, nor are they forgiven. Christians are often those people uh, who people love to hate, and even our best efforts can be skewed and deliberately perhaps misinterpreted. You'd think that they'd love us, but then you'd think that they'd love Jesus too. What's not to love? We have been talking about this life on this vine, this fruitfulness, this abundance, this love, this truth. And today we talk about our role to testify, to declare to the world the good news of Jesus Christ. But we do it in the face of a world that doesn't really like us and doesn't really want to hear. So how do we do that? We're going to unpack this from the second half of uh, John 15 and the start of John 16 that Val just read to us. Three points. Uh, No surprises, no excuses, no fear. There we have it. No surprises. Let's jump in at verse 18. Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, what's the underlying message here? And they did. They will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you in this way because of my name, because they do not know the one who sent me. If they hate, if the world hates you, we, we're uncomfortable with that word, aren't we? Hate is a really strong word. We, we hate the word hate, don't we? If, if we're parents, uh, if you're a parent, you hear one of your children say, I hate you. You jump on that pretty quickly, don't you? That's a really strong word. But here, Jesus, he's just been talking about love and he moves to the polar opposite. He says, remain in my love if the world hates you. Makes us uneasy. What Jesus here is talking about is this constant vehement opposition to God, to his son, to his people. And to his purposes. And it looks like lots of different things. And at different times of history, you can uh, can see this spectrum. This opposition is played out in a couple of different ways. At one end of the spectrum is oppression. At the other end is seduction. In one end is intimidation and the other end is enticement. One end is suppression and the other end is subversion. This opposition manifests in different ways, but it is opposed to God, his son, his people, and his purposes. And Jesus tells us this should not surprise us. And if you're familiar with your Bible, you realise this is a theme that has been going all the way back to Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve are tempted... To replace God with themselves. Sin there is cast as an act of rejection. An act of rebellion. An act of opposition. An act of hatred. And Jesus tells us. Jesus tells us here. These last few words that he shares with his disciples. That John recorded for us. He tells us. That they will be opposed to us. He says, verse 18 if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. It hates us, it hates Jesus, it hates the Father. Verse 21 they will treat you this way because of my name, because they don't know the one who sent me. So they're opposed to us. They're opposed to Jesus. They're opposed to the one who sent Jesus. That's the Father. John, I don't know if you've noticed uh, in our time in John 15 or your study of John, John talks in circles and he repeats himself an awful lot. Uh, if John was preaching here this morning, settle in for a really long sermon. you uh, will say the same things about 17 times, but you'll really get the point. He tells us that they don't know the Father. Okay, verse 21 They will treat you this way because of my name. They don't know the one who sent me. Then he goes on. They have hated both me and my father. Verse uh, 3 of chapter 16. They will do such things. They have not known the father or me. Jesus is saying the world will hate his people because they neither know or love or honor or obey the son or the father. At the heart of their rejection of us is a rejection of God himself. That is sin. And the thing here that we see in John 15 is that this can take spiritual or religious forms as well as secular forms. It is both the Roman opposition to Jesus. They sent him to the cross, but it is the Jewish leaders rejection of Jesus. It has both religious and secular forms. We can often think that uh, the world of religion uh, is basically on our side and it's the, the secular world out there that's opposed to us. But can I suggest that it is perhaps the religious forms of opposition that have been the most vehement, the most opposed. Religion has been a fierce opponent of biblical Christianity. Religion subverts, religion turns away from Jesus alone. Peter stood before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4, one of the 12 that Jesus is speaking to, and he says that salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And who were his opponents? Who were his oppressors? It was the Jewish religious caste. They were there, vehemently opposed. When John, who recorded these words for us, when his brother was beheaded by King Herod, he grabbed the other apostles because he saw that it made the Jewish leaders happy. Religion was no friend of true Christianity. Religion that opposes Christ alone is just as opposed as the worst of the secular state oppressing religion more generally. If the world hates us, and it does, Jesus here tells us, he says, Remember that what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. He tells us in verse 19, if you belong to the world, they would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. I have chosen you out of the world. Jesus' choice sets us apart. It's kind of like when I was um, chosen to play for the crows. Um, You may not remember when I ran on for the Crows. Uh, There's me. That's me. Looks like me, doesn't it? That's my face. Yeah, yeah. The rest of me, yeah, as well. Anyway. When I was chosen to play for the Crows, when it came to showdown, when it came to the Crows versus the power, we might share a city but we are fundamentally opposed to one another. Yes, there can be no peace. There can be no peace. The deep division between the sides sets us at fundamental opposition. There can be no reconciliation, except for both of us are out of the top eight. Maybe we can lick each other's wounds for this season, but next season it's on for young and old again, isn't it? We are fundamentally opposed. And Jesus is saying the same thing. There is the world and there is his people. And his choice as captain of his people sets us in fundamental opposition to the world. Our higher allegiance divides us out. And Jesus says the world will hate us for it because we do not belong. But it's not all doom and gloom. Look at verse 20, if you've got your Bibles open there. He tells us that if they obeyed him, if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. He's telling the disciples that if they honoured Christ and his teaching, as the disciples took that teaching that we have in the words of Scripture, they will obey that also. It's not all doom and gloom. There will be those Who honour Christ. We shouldn't be surprised by this. It's not fun to hear it, is it? But we shouldn't be surprised. So, as we think about it, how do you think about the world? Has this morning perhaps shocked you? Maybe we don't like this. We want to be loved by the world. Can I say, be careful? Be careful. Because as we want to be loved, so we want to fit in. And as we want to fit in, the temptation is to change the message that we preach. And we see this again and again and again in Christian history. We see it in our day and age. If we want to stand with Christ, we must accept that that sets us against the world. And what does that mean for us? How do we then respond? Do we return hate for hate? Well, if you've read your Bibles, you'll know the answer to that one. No, of course we don't. In Jesus' day, there was a group called Qumran, the Qumran sect. You might be familiar with them. You know the Dead Sea Scrolls? These were the guys who preserved that. They had some writings and they said, you've got to love the brotherhood of believers, the true believers at Qumran but you hate the people of the pit. You love the insider, you hate the outsider. What does Jesus say? Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Then you will be children of my Father in heaven. As we look at this, as we understand this, we must resist the temptation to answer hate with hate. We meet it with love. As Christ did for us. But we also need to recognise that if we are going to stand with Christ, we must stand with his word. I don't know about you, I don't know how strong it is here. When I used to tell people in Trinity Hills where I was previously that we were an Anglican church, there were a few people who were kind of like, what do you mean? Um, Trinity Church Brighton is part of Holy Trinity Adelaide. We are part of the Anglican Diocese of Adelaide. We are part of the Australian Anglican Church and the worldwide Anglican Communion. I don't know if you follow church politics and church doings, but the church in New Zealand, the Anglican Church in New Zealand, opens the door to blessing same-sex relationships. That was just a few months ago. The Uniting Church in Australia... Has accepted a contradictory position that affirms both. And uh, the darker side in me suggests that the Anglicans won't be that far behind. In New Zealand, I have friends who've resigned their license from the Archbishop and they've stepped away and the congregations have left. Well, hopefully, we won't be put in that position. But, brothers and sisters, If our diocese, if our national Anglican church adopts an official position, there's always been heresy within the church, but if it adopts an official position opposed to God's teaching in Scripture, if we want to stand with Christ, we may have no option but to up and go. Recognise that as we stand with Christ, we cannot compromise on God's word, on God's truth, There is no happy middle ground where we can be flexible. We stand with Jesus or we stand against Jesus. We stand with God's people and God's purposes or we stand against them. Something to be... Something to soberly think about. Jesus moves on. Brings us to our second point. No excuses. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them... Now, just want to stop. Jesus here is speaking of his Jewish contemporaries, okay? And you can see that a bit further on when he talks about their law, okay? He's talking about a very specific situation. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done amongst them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. This is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Jesus here, he takes us to an imaginary situation like a courtroom, and you could imagine, you could imagine the defendant saying, if only we'd known... And Jesus said, you knew. Speaking to his contemporaries, he's saying, you heard my teaching, you heard my words, you saw my works, you have no excuse. You have no excuse. John in his prologue, chapter 1, says that Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not know him. Jesus says, there is no plea of ignorance. There is no, oh, we didn't know. But he's not saying that if he didn't turn up that they would be actually sinless. What he's saying is they wouldn't be guilty of the sin of rejecting God's only son, the promised Messiah for Israel. That's the sin that they would be sinless of. But as it is, he has turned up, he has spoken, he has acted, and they have rejected. If that's the Jewish leaders, what... What about the rest? What about us? What about our neighbours? What about our friends? What about the people in Adelaide around us? What about the rest of the world that needs to know of Christ? Is is ignorance okay for them? Well, we have to go outside of John 15 to answer that question, so we're going to go a little bit of an excursion. The Bible talks about two kinds of revelation one called general revelation. And that is the revelation of the master craftsman in his work. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. You know, if you went to Mount Rushmore in the States uh, and you you know the president's faces across uh, the mountain and know it's nothing to do with hiding the ancient Mayan treasure or whatever it is that was in there, if you've seen the movie. Uh, Mount Rushmore's there, you don't go... Oh, what a marvellous coincidence of nature. There happens to be four identical or or four amazingly, uh, you know, accurate representations of four American presidents just coincidentally in this mountain. Isn't that amazing? The Bible tells us that we see the work of the creator. We see his handiwork, his power, his wisdom in what he has made. The heavens declare the glory of God. But this general revelation, it has one real function. And Paul pins it for us in Romans 1 verse 20. He says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. General revelation means that we can never turn around and say we did not know. General revelation is meant to make us look for the creator. But that sin in our heart makes us say, I want nothing to do with you. But we cannot say we did not know. That's one category of revelation. And if that is all we had we'd be under judgment, justly condemned. But then God is a God who speaks. And he comes and he brings what theologians call the second sort of category, special revelation, as God reveals his particular word. As God reveals to us his purposes, his works, and his great act of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. This special revelation speaks to us of the offer of forgiveness through faith in the death and the resurrection of the Son of God. That's a message that needs to be proclaimed. And Jesus is telling his disciples that that is our job. We go to proclaim the words of eternal life because at the moment the world is under judgment and there is no excuse. And we come offering them. Offering them the very words that they need to hear. Now, why are we sending a whole bunch of you off next year? Why are we doing this? Why are we making hard decisions now about how we do church together? It's not because Colin lives in Woodcroft and he doesn't like the drive up the freeway. It's just much more convenient for them to be down there. It's not that. It's not that I don't like him. Um, I actually quite like Colin, actually. Yeah. Except for the fact that he can't say duk or luv or blood, Is this, is this cheap shots? It is, isn't it? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He likes me too. He forgives me for these things. But why? Why are we doing this? Why does the Trinity Network commit itself to planting more and more congregations? Because we actually believe that new congregations reach new people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. People justly under the condemnation of God need to hear of his offer of salvation. And do people go, great! Where's the greatest opposition come from for us doing this? It comes, it comes from within the Anglican Church. There's a whole bunch of people who are outraged that we would think that we need more churches proclaiming Christ. We do. And we need more than just Woodcroft. We need more and more, and more. Talk to us about that if you want to know more. But we go to a world that has no excuse, but a world that doesn't really want to hear. What do we do? Our third point, we go without fear. Why do they hate it? Why do they hate the message? Why do they hate the messengers? Why do they hate the messenger, the Lord Jesus? Because fundamentally, the gospel calls them to repentance if sin as at heart is a rejection of god the gospel calls them to repent of their rejection to seek reconciliation but the amazing thing is that god has done everything that we need for that reconciliation to happen the offended party has taken the initiative he came into this world in the person of the lord jesus he paid the penalty that is what that is what is done that is what we proclaim but the gospel calls us to turn from our rebellion it humbles our pride it humbles us it brings us it brings us as the hymn writer said nothing in my hand i bring it brings us to that point where we realize that if we were left to ourselves We are justly condemned, but simply to your cross I cling. Naked come to you for dress, helpless look to you for grace. That is what we preach. That is Christ's work and the world needs to turn in repentance. And Jesus sends us on a mission Verse twenty six. He says, "When the Advocate comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. The Spirit testifies, and you must also testify. The apostles testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you, so you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. Do you remember? Do you remember the apostle Paul?" Stephen stoned the first Christian martyr of religious persecution and Paul is there this great Jewish religious leader giving the thumbs up thinking that they are doing a service to God they will do such things because they have not known the father or me the spirit testifies the apostles testify and as we are also in Christ we testify and the thing that we testify is all the one thing it is the good news of the death and resurrection of Christ the spirit's testimony is to confirm the verbal testimony is to take the words and apply them in our heart and bring us to repentance and faith verse 16 uh, chapter 16 verse 8 tells us that the spirit's work is to bring conviction regarding sin Righteousness and judgment. The Spirit drives the gospel home. The apostles, they were the authorized witnesses. Those 11 men, Judas' is left, they were with him from the beginning. They are the ones who Jesus himself raised up, who promised to equip with the Spirit to proclaim the authorized gospel. And we have it. We have it in the words of the New Testament. And so as John writes, he writes, so his proclamation, the proclamation of Christ continues. He tells us in John 20 verse 31, that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Those 11, they testified. They testified in the face of opposition. And if church history is right, all but two were martyred for that testimony. The ones that weren't died in prison of old age. They testified. And we testify. Like the apostles, we are branches in the vine. Like the apostles, if we remain in him, we will bear fruit. That love for his word, that love for one another, and a love for the world that overflows because of our testimony to Christ. We preach not our message, but the message that they preached, which is the message that Christ taught them, which is the apostolic gospel. We do that knowing the spirit is at work in us And through us and we will face opposition all this have told you Jesus tells us so that we will not fall away forewarned is forearmed verse 33 of chapter 16 he's told us these things so that in him we might have peace in this world we will have trouble Jesus pulls no punches In this world, we will have trouble. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If they reject you, it's because they rejected the son and they reject the father also. Jesus says, in this world, we will have trouble. You will have trouble, but in him we have peace. Because in the vine we have life. In his word we have truth. We have hope. We have fruitfulness. We can rest in his love as we testify to Christ. And we can take heart. Why? John 16:33. I have overcome the world. Let's pray.